it was the last hurrah of my life as a a Christian who performed well. <laughs> you know, like it was the I I had lived my life as somebody who was really good at being a Christian, at being impressive. Well, oh my gosh, you guys, that was Micah Boyett, and I loved this conversation. She's the author of Found, a story of questions, grace, and everyday prayer. And I met her just this last spring, and after talking to her just for a little bit, uh, I was immediately like, I need to have her on the podcast. So I asked her, and she said yes, and then she sent me her book. And I started reading it and I was like, oh my dear Lord, what a great author, such compelling ideas. And so you're gonna love this conversation. And the funny thing is, we we didn't even get to the original idea of what the podcast was gonna be about. So we have to have a part two. <laughs> That's how just it, the conversation just kept going. Uh, and you're gonna love her. So after you listen to this conversation, Make sure and go out and get her book. It's called Found, A Story of Questions, Grace, and Everyday Prayer. Enjoy. Everybody, welcome to This Good Word. And I met Micah, who I'm about to talk to at the Festival for Faith and Writing. And now I feel like this podcast is turning into the people I met at the Festival <laughs> of Faith and Writing, which is awesome. Um, but I met you, Micah. Uh, because of our mutual friend, Aaron Lane, who yeah. is wonderful and amazing. Uh, but hi, True. welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm really honored to be here, Steve. Thanks. Well, uh, your book, uh, which came out about four years ago, it's called mm -hmm. Found, Story of Questions, Grace, and Everyday Prayer. First of all, uh, you know, I told you this a couple of minutes ago before we turned the record button on. But it's really so gorgeously written. I mean, that is one of the first things that jumped out at me. And like I told you, I am a snob when it comes to writing. <laughs> uh, I really enjoy reading good writing. It's like what, you know, uh, and it yeah. is. It is really good writing. But I also love the structure um, of sort of this, you know, contemplative prayer. Um, so I want to get into that more. But my first question for you is, you know, as you read, as I read your bio, you have an MFA in poetry. You're an author. You're also a former youth minister. So <laughs> <laughs> I laughed out loud at that. The, the things of my life that do not work together very well. <laughs> I was like, I want to know this woman. So um, tell me a little bit about your, you know, your formative experience, maybe a formative experience or two growing up and sort of what your spiritual background was uh, yeah. that led you to this place. Okay. Okay. I, well, you know, I grew up Southern Baptist in West Texas wow. in the Panhandle. Wow. Um, and just come from salt of the earth people. All of my grandparents grew up on cotton farms. Yeah. Um, I My parents were the first in their family, the first generation to go to college. Um, and I... I, and faith was everything for our family. And so we were just those people that you hear about who went to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and um, 
we ate dinner at church on Wednesday nights. <laughs> we had like all the stuff. Um, and you know, I, I did was, you do, the, did you do Awana, Micah? I mean, I have to ask the, that. Awana didn't, it was like too liberal for us <laughs> at that point. <laughs> oh my it was God. like, <laughs> it was Bible oh drill all the way. Wow. Um, but I came like, you know, things were expanding by the time, you know, I came to Bible drill in 87. It was like not called sword drills anymore. <laughs> they had, they had put away the sword. So, um, but yeah, it was, it was hardcore. There are a lot of things that I, um, I have had to work through and, you know, I talk about some of that in, in my book. Um, and then there are a lot of things about the way I grew up that are still completely beautiful to me. And, um, I left the Southern Baptist church in my early twenties when I left Texas and went to graduate school. And I, I haven't been part of a Southern Baptist church since and have slowly become more and more liturgical. Um, but there's a lot of, of my foundation of just amazing people in the church who loved me and, um, who showed me what ministry is. And that was kind of the, what, what led me even as, as someone who was, who had gone off to like the godless Northeast to study (laughs) poetry, Mm -hmm. um, that I, as much as I wrestled and, um, deconstructed my faith, I still like, I still had that foundation of, um, wanting to be someone in younger people's lives who was pointing them to the love of God. Mm. And so that like, I, I ended up, I was involved with Young Life in college. And when I went to Syracuse, New York, all by myself, I was living alone. I didn't know anyone. And I, the first Sunday I tried to find a church and I got lost and I like cried, you know, driving around this uh, place I'd never been. And I came back and I remembered someone telling me there was Young Life in Syracuse. So I called it up. I found it in the phone book because this was 2002 <laughs> and uh, left a message. And so Young Life really became my community in graduate school. And and then from there, I ended up finishing my degree in poetry. And then what do you do with a master's in poetry? You go on Young Life staff. <laughs> of course. So that was, <laughs> that was kind of my journey. But it was always for me a very complicated, like, there wasn't a lot of room in the the culture I grew up in for literature and art and mystery and questions. And that was a, I never could understand my place because I loved Jesus. But there was this whole part of me that felt like the dark part of me. And um, I didn't know if Jesus liked that part of me or not, but I had this kind of inkling in college that maybe he did and maybe there was a way for me. And, and that was, you know, I definitely had people in my life, like my brothers who were both, um, people of faith, but like interested in, you know, my oldest brother gave me Catholics to read, you know, he's like the first (laughs) one who gave me Henry Nouwen and, um, we, I, I felt like there was this, 
I was on this journey to find that part of me. And, um, and so, you know, I think that it's still a, it's hard for me to show both sides. It's like the, yes, I just, I haven't been doing youth ministry since my oldest son, who's turning 10 next week, uh, was, was 18 months old when we moved away from Philadelphia. And, uh, I just signed on to lead a small group of girls, um, at my church this coming school year. And I was just at this barbecue yesterday, like hanging out with them, getting to know them. And I was like, Ooh, this is a part of me that I have not felt in a while. And it was really fun. And, um, I just, I feel like that age, I love the awkward, but I'm trying to be cool, Mm -hmm. but I really want you to love me, but you're kind of not cool either. And I don't know what to do. You know, I love all of that, um, the complication and the, the thinness of the veil between, between a teenager and God. I really feel like there is something really special there. Um, and um, so I guess it's possible to to love youth ministry and mystery at the same time. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's just not easily done. Well, I think, and, and Mike, I, I don't know if we've talked about this. I, I don't think we have, but I have a lot of years in youth ministry as well, um, dating back to the mid 90s and, and beyond. And I think things have changed so much, but also I think I wonder if, you know, this understanding of mysteries really should be a prerequisite of working with high school kids because especially now, and I'm not just like, you know, when people say, oh gosh, yeah, I remember being a teenager. Well, no, you didn't. I I mean, yes, you did, but you were a teenager in (laughs) whenever you were a teenager, you know, in the eighties or nineties. And now, um, I mean, it really is a completely different world in every sense Mm -hmm. of the word. Um, how people think and process truth and, 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 you know, and, and by that, I don't mean some weird thing, but like literally how we, how we understand reality is so radically different, um, that I think a healthy poetic imagination is probably really good. And that's exciting to hear. You're kind of getting back (laughs) into it. I would be terrified. I would be terrified. So terrified. Yeah. We'll see how, we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, so, uh, and then, uh, there's so many things we could talk about, but I really do want to get into your book because I want people to read this, this book that you wrote. Uh, the first line in the book is so exquisite. It is my first year of motherhood. I lost prayer. It's like, wow. I mean, I'm not a mother, but I'm married to one and I, I pastor a bunch of mothers. And I think that line uh, immediately is so relatable. So, um, talk about where you were when you wrote that line and how it leads to this beautiful book that you wrote. Mm. Well, you know, I think when I, when I think about that season of my life, I think first of all of, it was the it was the last hurrah of my life as a, a Christian who performed well, <laughs> you know, yeah, like it yeah. was the, I, I had lived my life as 
somebody who was really good at being a Christian, at being impressive. Um, if, you know, if there was somebody who was going to pray out loud, it was me. If there was somebody who was going to go be a missionary, it was me. And, um, and it was a slow, a slow fall. You know, I, I talked about that I began kind of deconstructing and, um, and reading the Catholics and you know all of yeah. those things in college. But, and, you know, by the time I had my son, I was 29. Um, but I think I held on to some evangelical rules that told me I was okay. Um, and, and those rules were a lot around prayer mm-hmm. and time alone with God and whether or not I was um, making my relationship with God a priority. Mm-hmm. And, um, and also, like, this sense of you, you shouldn't sleep if you haven't prayed or, you know, you oh, shouldn't. Gosh, yeah. it, you, like, this, I, am I working hard enough? And, um, I had, I had worked hard my whole life. I had kind of seen God as the ultimate grown up for me to please. And I had done my tasks in pleasing all the grown ups in my life mm. and winning the awards that I could win. And, and, and God was like the grown up in the sky who was, <laughs> um, ready to, to give me my prize if I could just hold on. And, uh, I think what motherhood did for me was two huge things. It was revealed to me my failure and my weakness and what I could not grit my teeth and, and you know, get through. And, and it revealed to me, like, the love of God. Hmm. The, you know, you, this kind of... Um, there were so many things I had to reevaluate about what I believed about God because I suddenly thought if I can love my kid this way, then I can't imagine God not loving us this way. You know, there were so many, so many things. So I felt like it was a, besides just the intensity of having a baby and the, you know, all of the hormonal changes and all of that, it was also this, um, I am not good enough on my own to do this. And God really, really loves me. And what am I going to do with those two things? And, and so I think when I talk about that, I lost prayer that year, it was both, um, prayer as I'd always seen it as performance, as, um, am I, do I have it together enough to show up for Jesus? And no, I didn't have it together anymore. And also, um, prayer in terms of like, what am I going to do with my faith? I don't know what I believe about God right now. And I don't know what my next step is in the midst of that. Yeah. And Micah, I, did you get the sense that as you were run, as you ran out of prayer, you lost mm-hmm. prayer 
that like, like when did you discover that, oh my goodness, I'm just sort of graduating. I'm not, you know, you know what I mean? Like, um, because that's, that's what it is, right? I mean, we sort of lose something and we think we're defective, like we need to get it back, but, but it's almost like, no, I don't think you need the pacifier anymore. You know, no, like, I don't, I don't, I don't think the tricycle is going to work for you anymore. You actually need a two wheeler now. Um, you know, like when did you discover that? I think it really was when we, so when my son was 18 months old by the time we moved to San Francisco. And I think that that move and the, that whole first year and that year is a, a major part of the book was when I, I moved from feeling just shame over my spiritual life to like digging down and going, what's underneath this? Yeah. Like, it's not just that I'm not showing up to pray or not like setting my alarm early enough. It's, it's that there is, it, there is a, there is pain and hurt and woundedness underneath this part of me that I have always performed in order to ignore. And there's something about, um, like God wants to meet me there. And I think that it took my moving across the country, my leaving ministry and going, who am I if I'm just a mom, if yeah. I'm not working at my, or who am I if I'm not in ministry and somebody special in terms of like, even though I would have never said, oh, I'm more special <laughs> than other Christians because I am in ministry. It was it was definitely in down deep in me oh, yeah. that, that I was, there was something that, that made me more connected to God. And, um, those titles were stripped away. My friends were stripped away. My sense of myself and my identity and, and also just culturally being thrown into a city like San Francisco. Um, it was just such a refining time. And, I was, I think it just was like ripping a bandaid off where I could get there so much quicker and see what had actually been going on in that whole year where I was like, oh, why can't I get it together? Hmm. Yeah. Man. Uh, you, so this is later in the book, but you, it feels like it's connected to what you just said. There's a line that you wrote. Uh, There's never a moment when you learn how to be whole. Just like there's never a moment where you learn how to be a mom or how to see the holy around you. And that's that's a hard lesson learned, right? I mean, but that's what you're talking about. So um, how did, okay, so number one, mm-hmm. that is a beautiful passage. I want you to riff on that a little more, like say more about that. Uh, I think that there is this, I mean, this is life in general, right? That we want to climb to the top of the ladder and go, okay, mm-hmm. I got here. Mm-hmm. I, let's check it off. Um, I, you know, this is, now I learned how to pray. Now I learned how to, uh, you know, be a great parent. Now I've figured out marriage and uh, like now I can move on to the next goal, and, and, and that's, you know, we, it should be, I think, simple to us, but we are like, you know, 
us poor human beings, we're just always trying to figure it out. And there's just sometimes you don't figure it out. You just like write it. You just move through each season. And, and I think that that is the, the, in the story of my book, I think that season of my life of recognizing that everything is grace Hmm. and am I watching for it? And, and if I'm, if I'm watching and if I'm paying attention to God around me, then it's changing me and I am slowly seeing, but it's, it's going to change, you know, the same as I, I figured out how to be a mom of a toddler when my oldest son was three and then he turned, then all of a sudden he was five and then he was seven and now he's 10, you know, and it's just so freaking hard. And that each, I, it's just relationship. And I think that's why when we talk about relationship with God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy spirit, it is, it's moving and, and changing as we move and change. And if we pay attention, then, then we're, we're learning and it's happening down deep. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's how I understand God's answer to Moses when Moses asks God to say God's name. And then Mm -hmm. essentially God says, I will be what I will be, you know, sort of, I I am being, (laughs) I am. And, but if we're created in the image of God, then so are we. Mm -hmm. And I think there's part of even understanding self-compassion, like, we can even get to know ourselves um, to a certain degree and then feel like, okay, I, I can be okay with that self. But then we keep growing, right? Yeah. We keep changing. Yeah. And so we need to learn how to love our new selves in our new apartment and or in our mm-hmm. new job or in this new day, you know, when maybe. Yeah. Um, so I think that's just a profound um, a truth. And, and I think, you know, these motherhood and fatherhood and singleness and all kinds of things are they're like our 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 exact curriculum that we need to keep yes. becoming the human that we are designed to be mm-hmm. you know yes. <laughs> okay um i want you if you would Micah. there's a beautiful story and by beautiful i mean it's sort of hilarious sort of harrowing but it's your sixth <laughs> anniversary and you're all dressed up you have this great line like with um uh, a dress with that's so low cut that i want to like go back and get a safety pin my my former self <laughs> That's so great. So you you and Chris are doing the sixth anniversary. I think you're in San Francisco, and then yeah, and your car window gets broken into. You get an email with bad news, and then, so and, but right. then that that leads you into writing about stability and what stability is and isn't. So can you do you know like like can you tell that story and um, I guess riff on whatever you want to riff on? But I'd love to hear how that led you to to what you currently believe about stability. Wow. Wow. I know it was a long time when you write the book, so (laughs) feel free to ask. Like, I mean, I just read it, so feel free to ask me what the heck I mean. No, I I remember. I remember that night. That's good. Um, Well, first I should say, and I don't think we've brought this up, that one of the major themes of the book is that I am kind of working my way through the role of St. Benedict and thinking a lot about um, what 
just about monasticism, but also what Benedictine monks commit themselves to. And, um, and it is the only, as far as I know, and I am no monastic like expert, but, uh, there are similar vows throughout monasticism, but Benedictine monks are the only ones who, who make a vow to stability. Yeah. And, and I was thinking about that a lot in that season as, as someone whose life was just feeling so thrown around and we had, we had moved across the country. We were far from all of our family. We had this baby and we're just trying, you know, I'd left my job and we're, I was trying to have friends and all of these things that were not stable. Yeah. And, and is stability something like a spiritual practice that was like worth me pursuing? It was kind of one question. Um, and also what is holy about that? Hmm. Uh, and, and so that story of going out with Chris that night and we come back and our car has been broken into and we get home and I think it was the next morning we get an email from our landlord and we literally lived there nine months or something that, uh, that he was essentially kicking us out. Um, which, you know, maybe he didn't have the right to do. We still, we could have probably gotten a lawyer, but the, but that whole, what came of that was me going, I, if we're going to have to leave this apartment again or leave for another place and what is, what is stability? And the same kind of question I've been asking myself, because I started this reading through all of these things and thinking about monasticism because I longed for a spiritual practice that I wanted to be a monk. I was like, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'm a stay at home mom. And I came to this conclusion that maybe monks and stay at home moms had more in common than anybody else. Oh, yeah. And, and that if, if I could just start to see my life in a monastic way as this, not as this monotonous routine with a toddler, but as this calling to prayer throughout the day as, as each, you know, each shift in my morning with my little boy could bring me to prayer in the same way that the monks, you know, are drawn to, to prayer by the bell. Um, but, but I think it was the same idea of like, could I have stability and everything be out of control? Hmm. And what does that look like? Because my stability is never going to look like me being in the same monastic community for 50 years, uh, living the exact same way every day. And, and, but nobody's really, you know, even, right. even the monks, their lives don't stay exactly the same. We're all moving and changing. And, um, so st- what is stability of the heart and what does it require? Um, and I think that that was a question that I was, I was asking a lot. And one of those mysteries that I don't think I ever quite got to the answer of, but I think what I came back to over and over is this, this kind of where's, where is my home with God? Where's my center? And can I come back to that home? And, and for me, that became this, that phrase, paying attention. 
And am I, am I living with gratitude? Am I looking around me? Am I seeing people? Am I seeing my, the, the world that I've been placed in and recognizing God at work around me? Hmm. Wow. I, I, I really do love that. And especially as it relates to what you talked about, you were the girl who performed, you nailed the tests, you passed, you passed everything. Yeah. And so of course, stability is going to be something that you're going to try to pass and figure out. <laughs> right. Um, and then, so another quote that I wrote down that I love stability, you write, isn't this apartment? It's not something you do. It's not a test. I already failed. Mm. And I loved that line because I think no matter what our particular, um, you know, childhood wound or childhood way yeah. that we tried to get to try to be safe and, you know, tried to sort of solve the problems that uh, we couldn't solve. Um, you know, I feel like we're always going <laughs> to have a tendency to try to to try to solve them using the exact, yeah. you know, same method that got us there in the first place, which never can. But right. that that also the grace in that is that's exact like when we do that exact same thing that everybody does that's doomed to fail it's <laughs> exactly where god meets us you know it's like that's right. the grace for me in that um that Absolutely. right i mean it's so actually that is so hopeful and um and actually I love the thought of, I mean, Mary and I, my, my wife and I have thought of, like, we we already live in an intentional community um, mm -hmm. with people that we sometimes love and sometimes don't love, <laughs> aren't you? Right. I mean, you know, right. that's a little intense, but, um, <laughs> but I think the idea of taking some of the concepts of what you would need to make it in a, in a community like that monastic community are some of the things that, that help you reframe parenthood in such a way so it, so it doesn't totally um, leave you bereft of any sense of identity. You know, I think that's the temptation. I'm so True. dramatic today, bereft of any sense of identity. <laughs> it's so intense. Oh my gosh. I, we sometimes love and sometimes hate. <laughs> oh my Lord. I need, I need a, I need something. Um, Okay. Uh, there's a few, I mean, time is just passing way too quickly, but there are a few more questions I want to ask you if you still have time. Sure. I do. I have plenty of time. You, okay. So okay. No, no trouble at all. There was a time where you talked about senior spiritual director and he or she, I wasn't sure, um, doesn't matter, but said to you, Micah, please, uh, try to remember not to be so ferocious with yourself. <laughs> <laughs> talk so more good. about that and what you learned from that um this my spiritual director debbie she was just exactly the person i needed that year yeah. and that word ferocious i just remember going as especially as someone who loves words i was like "Ooh, mm -hmm. i i like that i'm gonna keep that um Gosh, but you I, sounded I just start... like Aaron right there. Exactly. You, 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 you channeled Aaron Lane right there, right <laughs> there. Did. You were that's, Aaron. That's okay. Right. Keep going. Um, I remember thinking I should go home and write that in lipstick on my mirror. Mm. Um, and, and it really opened my eyes to just how ferocious 
I, I had always been with myself. Mm. That was how I operated in the world. And it was how I pushed myself to work hard. And, um, and there were so many things that so many ways that I allowed that to shape my view of God, that I was in trouble and just always trying to climb out of it. And some of that were things that I couldn't undo. I, I talk in the book about how I was, had felt called to ministry and in my world, there were not women as pastors and maybe they were children's directors, but they sure didn't have the title minister right. of children. Yeah. And, but they could be missionaries. And Lottie Moon was my hero. She was like the Southern Baptist missionary in the 1800s who went to China and had a, an offering named after her. And, and that was that for me, I could, I could be a missionary and because Lottie Moon had been a missionary and I, maybe if I worked hard enough, I could have an offering named after me, you know, like <laughs> let's, let's aim high you guys. So, uh, this, this idea that, uh, that I had already like all through college thought I, the real, the real good thing I could do would be to go to Africa and never get married and just give my whole life away. And when I ended up going to graduate school instead, which is a, was a major wrestling match, um, just with myself and with God, I, I just carried this guilt of this is what I picked. I picked the easy thing. I picked the like thing that's not going to change anything. I'm going to write some poems and be selfish and, you know, maybe somebody will publish them and think they were sweet. And then, then I fell in love with my husband and got married and he was definitely not called to go to Africa. And, and so there was this kind of shame that I had always carried of this is, there was a path that was really the good path that would have required so much more of me. And instead I picked poetry and I picked being in love with this man and I picked staying in America where things were easy. And, and that was, I think, one of the deepest levels of like ferocious talk with myself. Um, and it all came back to God over and over because it couldn't be undone. Right. It was it, and, and it was this fear that there had been a perfect plan. And now, no matter what I did, I was outside of that plan, no matter how much I believed God loved me. And I think that that just oozed into every other part of my spiritual life that I was just trying to make up for it. Like, okay, so I did the easy thing and now I got to at least suffer more in this area or at least push myself more in this area or at least have, have it together over here. And, um, as I started to, it was really every time I looked in the mirror, check in and go, what have I been saying to myself? What have I been thinking about? And starting to notice how ferocious I was all the time with myself. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, it started to really open me up to a view of a God who wasn't pissed at me for making just for, for throwing his whole plan out of sync yeah. <laughs> with my, oh with my, my selfishness. Gosh. And, and, 
yeah, I think that it, again, it comes back to that paying attention thing. The more I paid attention to what was going on inside of me, the more I was like, oh, this is prayer. God wants me to capture these things, mm. recognize them, let that grace sit on top of them mm. and reorder myself. And that that was the work that God was doing in me. And that ferocious thing was not from God. It was it was like, you know, my inner dinosaur. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, that is so good. You know, and I think there there just is a temptation for any religion, all all religion to to be at its most base level, its most literal level, you know, the most yeah. like, how can we master this? Yes. And so, yeah, in that in your tradition, you 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 mastered it, became a master at it by doing some very concrete uh, selfless it's always about selflessness in that right. category and that right. I grew up in a similar thing, but it's always about, you know, others first. I remember this acronym, maybe you grew up with this too, but we were always taught joy, J-O-Y. And that's the order at which you love things. Jesus first, others second, yourself third. Yes. You know, and yeah. that was just drilled into us. And there was a very particular way of talking about that a very particular way of making decisions about that. And you were selfish if you ever went against that. So I'm hearing you say like, it was a huge journey for you to choose these things and to see that God delighted in you in those choices. Right. right. Uh, which is, I think, revolutionary actually. Yeah. Um, and to have a, and you know, if there really is, you have this view of the world that God has set everything in stone <laughs> yeah. already. And then you make a mistake and it's just, you know, I remember yeah. in high school asking my Sunday school teacher, like, what if I go to the wrong college and then <laughs> like meet the wrong person? And then the child I should have had with this person was going to be the president. And then that <laughs> they weren't the president. Yeah. <laughs> like what's going to happen? So much My brain's going to explode. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it is a lot of pressure. And then to come to a place of going, wow, God is beautiful yeah. and vast and always at work. And when we talk about making all things good, like that is happening right now. Yeah. And it, I, I do not have the power to mess that up. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I think it's so interesting too, Mike. Did you think it's like, there's so much contradiction in, in, in that theology because on the one hand, the omnipotence of God is just so huge. Like God can do anything. God is all powerful. God is all, yeah, you know, right. And at the same time, this all-powerful God that can do anything decides to create this blueprint universe where something <laughs> has to go, ex everything has to go exactly according to plan, yes. or else everything's yes. going to be totally screwed up. I mean, it's like, like even a kind of dumb person wouldn't wouldn't <laughs> set up a system like that. You know what I mean? Like, it's terrifying. It's terrifying. <laughs> so we, I mean, we. It's just so hilarious to me now. Like. Yeah. The inconsistency of those two things. But it's not hilarious because it, it ends up torturing people like right. you. Like, right, I mean, right. Yeah. Those yeah, of like, us who are, who are, have made ourselves or who, however we were designed was easily tortured. <laughs> yeah. But I, you know, it's interesting. I, my oldest son is changing schools and he's really sad about it. And it's been a hard decision. And I found myself going, I need to give him Jeremiah 29, 11. Mm. But I was like, 
oh, I don't know if I can do that. Like, <laughs> is it going to mess him up? And what is, you know, mm-hmm. is he going to have this view of God as like having his plan set in stone? And, and I went back to it in the message um, translation and I, and I was like, oh, this is good. This is like a God who is, who is making something good. And, um, so, you know, I went and secretly wrote it on his chalkboard in his bedroom. Uh, but that like, even those verses that I clung to as like, God has a plan and I have to walk down it and turn right when I'm supposed to turn right. Um, like what God and you know that whole the whole taking these passages that were meant for Israel and making them individual like there's a whole thing there too but (laughs) but even in that um to to say like no this is God saying I'm I'm working here to give you a a future that's full of hope yeah like that's that's what I do believe and I think that's the same thing that Paul may, means when he says that God is working all things for the good yeah. of those who love him. Yeah. And yeah, there's that is a great mystery, but it's also something that we get to cling to. Yeah. Yeah. And I like that too, because I think actually I love the juxtaposition of, of that story of your son and that verse, which is, you know, misused, mishandled. But also Absolutely. in a way that there are some things we can cling to. There, there are some things we can hang on to. So like there's a reconstruction that happens after the deconstruction, you know, and yeah. hopefully yeah. there's a there's more of an innocence that gets reclaimed, um, yeah. you know, that 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 can use that verse with their son without having to um, prove it exactly what it really means and what it doesn't mean. Like there's a, you know, there's an innocence that doesn't know anything. And then there's a complexity that has to try to prove everything and, and, and nuance every single thing, you know, but then there, then there's an innocence that goes, nah, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to put that, I'm going to put that verse up on my kid's wall. Cause I think they need to hear it. Um, absolutely. That's cool. That's very cool. Um, Man, I'm starting to think there might need to be a part two to this <laughs> podcast because there's just a whole issue, the whole topic that I didn't even get to that I really wanted to, but I think we yeah. are. What's up? Oh no, I'm just agreeing that oh, we didn't get to. I mean, yeah. So I let me. I mean, we might need to figure out a part two. Okay. Um, but I'm down for that. Okay. Well, that would be really fun. Um, that would be really fun. Let me just tell you what I loved about some of the things that you said. I loved how you said motherhood kind of wrecked you, but also was the was. And you didn't say this, but this is what I interpret. It's like yeah. it's like people who tell me after I preach, like, "Oh, I love when you said this," and you go, ah, "I never said that, but, but great." <laughs> um, no, how how motherhood was was like this really was this monastery and is this monastery for you. Mm-hmm where you are learning to reframe this ordinary thing, um, this ordinary, it's almost a sacrament, you know, this ordinary thing that has become more than ordinary for you. Like you can look at it as like, oh gosh, three boys and they take a lot of time and oh my gosh, I never have me time. Or you can say, okay, I'm gonna struggle with that, but I'm also gonna reframe that in such a way so that I can pay attention to what God is doing in my life, through my life. And, um, I really love that. That's very hopeful. Um, and I think, 
you know, if people are listening, maybe they're in a job that's challenging or they're in a marriage that's challenging. And there's lots of different ways to look at that. Sometimes you leave a marriage. Sometimes you leave a job. Certainly not saying anyway. But sure. there, there, there also is this view of stability that, I, that, that, that you're talking about that is not passing a test or following a rule, but finding the home uh, where, where God is and where you are and where you can remain. I love that. I really love that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to stop saying things I love because I could talk for another 10 <laughs> minutes about the things I love that you said. Uh, they were so good. So, um, okay, folks, uh, this book by Micah, and is it Boyette? Sorry. Yeah, Boyette. So you know what? You can think of it as like Texified. Boyette. Boyette. That's where I'm from. I mean, you don't so. have a Texas accent anymore, but I bet you can slip right into it, right? Oh, you... I can I can do it with the best of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, do you kind of slip into it when you go back home? Every, every, like... For sure. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Okay. And I have my middle son is an actor in his heart, and he loves to just put on his Texas accent just like walking around the house. Um and he's very critical of how I pronounce. There's a few things that have never gone away for me. Yeah. So there's there's things to be critical of. But That's they so have funny. <laughs> of course, it's your kid that points it out, too. That's just so beautiful. Oh, yeah, for sure. California boys. California boys. Uh, Found is the name of this book. A Story of Questions, Grace, and Everyday Prayer. And I'll put the link on, of where to get that on my show notes. You can also... Connect with Micah via her blog and her podcast. We didn't even talk about the podcast. Oh my lord! It's called the Lucky Few, right? Yes, that's it's called right. the Lucky Few, and you and two other women. Yes. Talk well. It just I mean, we have two more minutes, so just explain what what the, what the <laughs> podcast is about because I'm going to link that too. Sure. Yeah. So we didn't even get to it, but know, uh, three years ago, my youngest son was born with Down syndrome. And the Lucky Few podcast is a podcast uh, all about just uh, Down syndrome and issues of Down syndrome and raising the bar for our kids with Down syndrome and communicating to really to the world of how lucky we are to have a child with Down syndrome in our lives. We really want to reframe the narrative from something that is uh a thing that doctors say, I'm so sorry yeah. about to something that is absolutely as beautiful as it, as it is. So. Well, okay. I'm going to link y'all. I'm going to link, um, the, that, that podcast, but also like, Oh my gosh, Micah, I read the article that I think the post, the Washington post picked up. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and the article is so good. But then I made the mistake of reading the comments and it's like, holy <laughs> shit, people have real strong opinions on all sides about they this do. one. Right. So, and that was, I did not read the comments. I didn't good. make that mistake, Steve. Well, so, I'm I, sorry for like putting the anxiety in your heart. The article okay. was so good. No, the the comments are I, predictable and I'm, I'm sure you've heard yeah, them all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have. And they were binary, very, you know, mm-hmm. very binary. So, um, but, uh, okay. So I'm going to link your blog, your podcast and this book and people get to know Micah. I mean, she really is thoughtful 
And I think in this world that feeds on chaos and dualism and reactionary spaces uh, and lack of sanctuary, I think, Micah, I think you are one of the gifts um, for this world at this time to kind of call people back to sanctuary, to space, to spaciousness, to um, to not doing things perfect. Um, so I am, I mean, if you, if, well, you're welcome, you're welcome, but if you're down, I am going to have you back on because I do want to talk about ACE. I I do want to talk about your son and even some of how your the content of your book has, I am sure shaped some of the ways Mm -hmm. that you see parenthood, um, as it relates to down syndrome child. So, um, so good. Thanks. Yeah, I'm happy to come back and talk about it. So I always will talk about Ace. Okay. He's the man. Well, Ace, I, I love I love the Instagram feed that, that you have. <laughs> oh, my gosh, it's so good. Uh, okay, Micah, thank you so much, everybody. Make sure to get on the show notes and click on these links, get her book, listen to her podcast. Uh, it is so worth it. So, Micah, you were the best. Thank you so much. <laughs> You're welcome. Thanks, Steve. So good. Thanks for listening, friends. If you love this good word, there really are two ways that you can show the love. Uh, One is by sharing this good word. If you have a favorite episode, go ahead and email that to a friend. Share it on Twitter. Share it on Facebook. That really helps spread the word. Also, you can go to iTunes and leave a review. Subscribe to this good word. That really helps. You can leave a rating as well. So uh, have a very beautiful day, my friends, and we'll see you next week.